Hi, everybody. So Lisa Beyer here, and we are kicking off today's Facebook Live talking about digital detox secrets. And I have a special guest, Rohan. He is the founder of the Budify app and also the author of Modern Mindfulness. Hey, Rohan. Hi, Lisa. Great to be here. Thank you for coming. And so we're going to be talking about meditation and mindfulness and how we can use that to balance ourselves in this crazy digital world. So Rohan, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into developing the app Budify. Yeah, so it's a bit of an accident really. So um, I was working in the world of technology and innovation um, and I spent, you know, I spent 10 years of my life sort of helping all sorts of different companies make cool stuff. And um, there was, uh, I got to the point of, hey, it'd be quite nice if I could make my own thing. I sort of had the skills and the network and the understanding. This was sort of back in 2011. And um, alongside that, I have a very long-term practice and interest and love, really, of the meditation and mindfulness traditions in particular. And could see that um, meditation was starting to take off. Uh, and... Well, hey, this is a perfect like context for me to maybe make something, um, and also because I remember at the time friends would ask me like would rec- ask me offer recommendations for mindfulness and that, and at the time I didn't think anything out of it. They did, so I was like, hey, I'll, I'll make I'll make something, um, I'll make the I'll make the product that I can recommend to my friends, and so that's sort of where it started from, and then. Um, this is sort of quite humble beginnings, you know, just for some, uh, the first product we made, the first prototype really was um, quite modest and uh, quite simple, but at the same time was quite new, was quite novel, because, you know, the core of the work that, because the core idea in Budify is meditation for people who don't have time to meditate. So um, all the, well, the majority of the practices that we share are what we call contextual or situation-based. So. Um, you might not have, you know, like you might not have time to do a 20 minute meditation at home, but if you're already walking to work or if you're already traveling or if you're already going to the gym and have access to your phone and to headphones, which you might, if you're already listening to music and podcasts or whatever, then you're going to. So it's much easier to uh, bring meditation to you rather than you having to find time for it. And that was the, like solving that problem was the heart of Budify. And then, um, and the story since those early days has been a bit of a, what I call them, it's been a modest cult success in that um, uh, uh, that first version did well. And then we reinvested the profits of that into a new sort of much more substantial version, um, which sort of in, in, incorporated our first sort of, this, uh, we're quite well known now for our sort of wheel aesthetic, the design of the app and the way we present um, the meditations visually are quite distinctive. and. Um, That's actually what attracted me to Budify was the wheel because yeah, and I, I mean, I, I've done yoga for a long time and I would come out of my yoga classes and see people waiting to go into the next class, which was a meditation class for an hour. And I just thought to myself, like, how could somebody sit there and do nothing for an hour? Like, that's just such a waste of time. And so I knew meditation was good and, and it would be good for me and I needed it, but I just couldn't make the time and when I saw your app and how you had the different the wheel that you know sleeping work uh, sure. online it just made things a little bit more digestible yeah and I think that um, uh, we've put we've spent a lot of time thinking about the presentation of these things because like um, meditation does have its history of sort of uh, 
has a certain sort of uh, less now, obviously now it's grown to be much more big and much more universal to some extent. But even five, six years ago, it still had a lot of, sort of hippie baggage to it. And so one way to solve that is by beautiful design and make it like those like we had this very sort of strong idea, which was we want to make an app where if if someone sees you using it over your shoulder on the train, you're not going to be embarrassed. Right, right. <laughs> and, um, uh, that was like our guiding principle. So something that looked beautiful and also beautiful to use. It's like the idea that even looking at the app is a pleasant experience. Even the interactions, the way the sort of animations work to make that pleasurable so that every interaction, not just the meditation, or not just the guided meditation aspect, but every touch and every uh, navigation is fun and pleasant and pleasant so and calming in some way and so um, that was a uh, one of our key our core ideas as well so you're an entrepreneur and you also are an expert in meditation and mindfulness and this all kind of journey started for you in 2011 but fast forward to today we're living in a time where social media addiction uh, depression anxiety suicide, for every generation, basically, and especially Gen Z is most exposed to it. So what are some tips that you can give to each one of these generations when it comes to like, what can meditation do for them? Yeah, I and think, how do we balance? Yeah, I think there's a number of ways, number of ways to answer that. But I think the key one for me is that so many forces in the world are trying to grab our attention, whether that's Facebook advertising or your boss or the what I like like so many so many so many there's so many forces which are uh, impinging on us so we have sort of whether it's sort of content or people or or our own internal thoughts trying to drag our attention all over the place so given that as the environment we as individuals need ways to bring some control back to that attention and some control back to that inner environment. Right. How do we do that? Yeah. And so that's basically, so basically that's what, that's the, that's basically the, the promise of meditation is to um, train, using your mind to train your mind to, to bring some of that balance back. And the mind, you know, mindless meditation is often spoken about as like a, sort of a uniform thing when actually it's a whole collection of techniques and things you can do and and the different types of technique lead to different outcomes so you can use you can use meditation techniques which are all about concentration so if you notice that you know if you notice they're very distractible you can do particular techniques that really support a sense of focus um, or you might feel that um, you're very you know you're sort of dealing with all this information maybe you have a sort of a computer-based job as well and you can feel sort of really stuck in your head and so in that case, you can balance it out with body awareness practices or embodiment styles or practice. Or um, you can live in a really you know, busy place, but feel isolated and lonely at the same time. So you can use techniques to support a sense of connection and interdependence and kindness with others. So uh, that's, I think that's one of the great things about the mindfulness tradition is that they, it offers quite a wide range of um, techniques and approaches and practices that can sort of lead to different outcomes, but ultimately they all meet in this place of developing one's awareness, developing one's attention, 
to to bring that sense of calm and balance so that um, we're no longer uh, entangled or bossed around by internal or external forces and we have that we have that stability and that's the that's the heart of it and then um, once you have a sense of that and an initial uh, bit of stability in that then you can sort of use that stability for all sorts of different outcomes so um, you know I think medicine there are a number of different ways or techniques or tools out there um, but I think the reason meditation mindfulness has sort of gained so much popularity is that it's accessible it's rel like um, it doesn't cost you anything to do really it's, it's always available um, and in recent years the, the growing amount of, sort of scientific evidence and research into its benefits and effects have given it legitimacy that it in the past it used to have this sort of you know this sort of hippie flavor um, but now um, uh, it's losing that because of the because of the data really and so people who've historically been skeptical about it now um, have less cause for that skepticism. Like, Can you speak to that? Some of the scientific evidence of of meditation. Sure, I'm not. You know, I'm not. I'm not an expert in the data, so I'm not going to profess that. Um, uh, but I think what typically is done. So um, there was a key moment back in the sort of late seventies when people started. Uh, you might have heard a guy called John Kabat-Zinn, who's like the godfather of modern mindfulness. Yeah, who I'm hopefully meeting on Saturday, actually. He's down there. We're both going to a speaking at an event in London, which was pretty cool. And, oh, I um, wish I could go. And uh, the... Yeah, so he, so he basically asked this question of, like, what would it be like if we applied these techniques in the context of healthcare? And he designed the first uh, intervention, if you like, of using mindfulness meditation in the context of chronic pain was the first sort of use case. And... Because, you know, like, you know, like when you're working in something like healthcare, particularly in the States, you can't just do it because some cool guy in a robe said it was a cool thing to do. You have to have some evidence to support it. So that, it's, it's been the application of uh, mindfulness courses in particular in healthcare uh, that has led to this evidence base, I think. Um, and what typically, so, uh, and what's been found is that, um, mindfulness training, specifically like sort of courses, so six to eight week courses with sort of quite um, structured, uh, have been used in, in, in sort of a clinical context and uh, particularly in the, in, in the UK, I can talk to how um, it's recommended by the National Health Service here for uh, anxiety and recurrent depression is the sort of the most common use case of it in the UK. But it's been it's been used for all sorts of different things. But you see those pictures too, the brain before and after meditation. Yeah, very yeah, powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And I think um, the uh, I think I, I think the, the, like I think whilst I'm not necessarily one of those people who thinks mindfulness is going to save everything, but what's great about it, it gives an alternative, non-medication-based pathway that often right. works well in complement with uh, sort of conventional. Uh, clinical support. So I think that just having more tools available I think is really exciting. And then we're now, we're now seeing, uh, you know, the event I'm actually talking to, I'm talking about on Saturday is in the context, it's an education event um, hosted by an organization that teaches mindfulness in schools across the UK. And they're there at the start of a seven year longitudinal 
study, the biggest of its kind ever, of how the effects of teaching mindfulness to young people in schools and how that changes their resilience into their sort of teens and early 20s. And that's really exciting because that, um, because uh, for all the, because now we have a decent amount of evidence in healthcare, I think seeing some of the, what, what does it, what does it mean for our young people? And, and, you know, like, I think the more our young people, the more skills they have to self-manage their difficult emotions and, um, uh, understand what yeah. makes them happy is a really good thing. So I'm excited for that as well. That's awesome. And so, so entrepreneurs and CEOs and business owners are basically calling, um, meditation, a superpower, you know, and yeah, it's, it used to, it's, a new, it's a new hip thing to, to yeah. it's, it's, it's one of those things that now like everyone's coming out as a meditator. Right, exactly. And it's now it's not cool to be like staying up all night working and, you know, it, it's better. The whole business environment seems to be trying to get better. Um, sure. but we have a question um, from one of the viewers. So, um, Allison is asking, how do you disconnect and stay connected at the same time in a healthy way? Um, I think so. I talk, so I think there's, there's sort of, I'll take both of those points. I think we've all, as individuals, we all have our particular vices when it comes to technology, like, or which, which particular apps or uh, things like trap us, whether it's YouTube or email or Instagram, we've all been there. Um, and so as individuals, we have to recognize that we have to learn ways to become a little bit more independent of them and know when to turn off and set, set some boundaries around how we use our devices. Um, and so that the idea of like the digital detox being the sort of the, the exempt, the sort of the, the symbol of that. Um, so that's definitely an important skill to, to learn. But the danger of only knowing that skill is that if your only strategy of dealing with the problems of technology is to turn it off, that's not a very good strategy because technology is not going away and it is part of our lifestyles and it's increasingly underpinning our economy and our society that, as well. So that's a huge point. Yeah, so, so we don't, the danger is that we enter this sort of pathological relationship with technology where we can't live without it, but we can be sort of demonized it. Um, so the second strategy, if you like, is to how do we actually use technology in support of our well-being? Um, and so, uh, and the first step towards that is recognizing that it's possible. <laughs> so like, uh, if, you, if one has the view that all technology is inherently against our well-being, then it's gonna be difficult to move that. But actually, um, and, I'm, and it is entirely possible. And I think so for me, you know, I'm the mindfulness guy, so I'll talk from that perspective. Um, when with Buddhify, we talk about meditating everywhere and anywhere and in all contexts, and um, our technology is just another context. So um, it's absolutely possible to, to meditate whilst you're browsing Instagram or whilst you're sending email or whilst you're reading the news or whilst you're... Um, going down a YouTube rabbit hole, you just need to know how. And so um, it's about so, so technique. So I'll give you a sort of sim really simple example. Yeah. The most simple example is, so, yeah, I'll put my phone here. So, um, so the most, so if you've gone to meditation class before, the first technique you'll probably learn is some kind of body awareness. 
um, where you sort of, you know, pay attention to your breath or to your body. Or if you do yoga, you'll be familiar with like a body scan or that kind of thing. Um, and you can do the same thing with your phone. So if you're holding your phone, um, if you're anything like me, like this phone is so much, I'm so often holding it, that it might as well be part of my body. Right. <laughs> so if, if you go with that sort of idea, if you like, or that assumption, then you know, whilst I'm holding my phone, can I also be aware of the sensations whilst I open my phone? So I'm, I'm opening my inbox, I'm scrolling down, and as I'm scrolling down, I can feel the weight in my hand, I can feel the smoothness of the, the glass on my thumb, I can feel the weird sort of fingerprint scanner on the back. And that sounds really, sounds really almost mundane, the idea of being aware of being aware of what it feels like to use your phone whilst you use your phone. Well, that's basically the definition of mindfulness. That's the definition of body awareness. You're just being aware. Actually, you just had, I saw something on Twitter that you guys tweeted about scrolling meditation, right? Is that the same sense of what you're talking about? Yeah, so we, we, have, a, we have a whole category within Buddhify, which is about meditation you can do whilst using your phone. Um, and that's one of them. The one, the one I call is weight. Um, scroll is a different technique. Um, and uh, the, the important thing about that, that uh, these kinds of practices is that given that we do check our phone or hold our phone so often in the day, suddenly if we, re- if we recognize that doing that can actually be supporting our body awareness, we suddenly have an extra 200 times a day or however many to, to, right. to even if it's just for a second, you know, that's 200 seconds of mindfulness that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Um, but then also, if you are on social media and whatever, if part of your attention is present with the physical sensations, then you're less likely to get sucked into the content because by definition, those, those physical sensations are happening in the present. And so when your mind is there, then you're, then you're, then you're, by, yeah, you're present whilst using your phone. I think um, it's a very, very simple idea, but incredibly powerful because of, uh, because of how often we use these devices. And I think so the balance is then so for me, the, I think the healthy balance is A, learning how, to, learning how to not become dependent on your phone. See when you're, um, uh, see that it's like really getting interested in the patterns of how, how much you use them and, uh, and working out strategies of how to um, soften that. I'm not necessarily one of these people who likes to prescribe it. I don't say like, oh, you must, you must not take your phone into your bedroom or you must not. Um, I think those kinds of things are useful to do, and I would encourage them. But I'm not. I don't have like. A, I'm not that kind of person who will give you like. Right. Um, like I think I heard um, Simon from American Idol. Like he just announced that he hasn't uh, used his yeah. phone in six months or something like that. I mean, I think that's a little bit extreme because how do you function? I mean, it's literally part of how we function in business. When and you have, when you have like ten PAs, it probably makes it. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, I just wanted to say real quick that um, for anybody that's watching live, if you have some questions, you can put it, feel free to put it in the comments and we'll see if we have time to get to them for sure. Yeah, please do. Um, but you know, there's, there's, the important thing about that is that everyone knows the problem, but everyone has a sense of what that issue is. Like for me now, like I meant back in 20, 2009 or 2010, like being so engrossed in Twitter at that time, this would like be, it would just become like 
autopilot. I would like look at, turn it on, and um, and I just thought, and then like part the way that mindfulness works really is that the more aware we are of our mental patterns, the less control they have over us. And so it, again, it comes down to awareness and and noticing. Oh, actually, every every time when I'm bored, I'm my my, my sort of I've got this sort of automatic pattern of reaching for my phone and my thumb knows exactly where to do it. I don't need to look at it. And it's like, okay, like, do I want to be run by these automatic patterns or do I want to bring a bit more agency and control and, yeah, awareness to it? And that's where, um, but if you don't have that awareness, then you can't break the pattern. Um, so the key is working on the awareness and then um, noticing that actually it's just making me feel more lonely or, or, or using it in such a way that, is genuinely supportive of your well-being rather than uh, the opposite. What about breath? So that's a big part of meditation in any any way, shape, or form. And I mean, there's been studies that have shown that when we receive an email or get a notification or we're about to do something, we're holding our breath versus, you know, the opposite is we're supposed to be breathing. And so I do a lot of speaking and I've done tons of presentations and I know some of the people that are watching this now are also speakers. And as many times as you get on stage or go in front of an, an audience, you get scared. And I have found it so helpful. Um, the one track on Budify is called ready. And I love that track because it's, it's like nine minutes or eight minutes. And I just go somewhere and just listen to it. And it just reminds you, you know, one of the things is just to pause and to breathe. So can you speak to that, the whole breath yeah, motion? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, ultimately it's less about the breath, but more about the connection between the body and mind. So um, there's, there's a sort of a phenomenon that like when we're agitated um, in our minds, then often parts of our body will be agitated as well. And an example of that, the breath will be tight or there'll be tension in maybe your your jaw, your shoulders, or in your belly, and uh, and it goes the other way. And the great thing about that relationship is that you can totally hack it. So um, if you want to make yourself get really anxious, you can just start doing lots of short breathing. <laughs> you can basically breathe yourself into anxiety, but you can also breathe yourself out. And so when you notice, um, so if you notice that there's worry or fear with regards to the presentation like you said you can deliberately counter that by softening the body lengthening the breath deepening the breath um uh and uh and take take advantage basically of that relationship um and that and that's sort of the the sort of one of the one of the like talk about sort of superpowers before it's sort of like one of the superpowers of mindfulness in general which is Noticing, because it might be, because for example, um, there's a there's a thing I do, which is like if I notice, so I, like when I'm getting stressed, it's t like it's, for everyone, everyone tends to have their own signature pattern. So for me, it's often my jaw. When I'm, if I notice my jaw getting really tight, that's, so I might not notice that I'm, I might notice, might not notice my mind whether I'm actually feeling stressed, but I notice that I've got some tension in my jaw, which is my early warning signal to know that something's coming. And so that's very aware. Yeah, then it gives me the opportunity. I can, I can actually start relaxing that jaw or, or just go for a walk. Because it's like my early warning signal. Um, and so 
that is those using that those becoming much more sensitive to how the mirror the, the mirrored and interdependent relationship between mind and body and that because they're not two things they're sort of two expressions of the same thing and so the more if we sometimes we might be aware of our mind going all over the place and so we can soften it because it's quite hard to just like because we have a bit more control over the body with regard breathing because you can deliberately you can literally you can't you can't decide oh, i'm going to reduce my heart rate from 120 to 80. that's not something you can consciously do but you can yeah. consciously the breath has some conscious uh uh motion over it so that's why historically it's sort of been used as a uh as a technique really was as a heart of the technique but ultimately it's about this sort of heart this sort of mind body uh relationship and learning how to switch it in your favor one of the terms that I love that you use in a couple of the meditations, and it's just widely used in meditation in general, is just being the observer and how to kind of get outside and not not be so involved in the whole whatever you're going through. And I think that's it's hard. It's easy to say and harder to do. But when you can actually practice it, it really does work. Yeah, I think that's ultimately like that's that's the main mechanic of mindfulness, which is. So another way of describing awareness is being aware of something and taking the position of the observer. Right. Um, and I think one of the one of the downsides of a term like observer is that it can feel very clinical and very detached. When actually, um, it doesn't it doesn't really it doesn't really mean that. I'll sort of use a visual metaphor since we're on on video, which is like like we can be really so this pen is like a thought or a mood and we can hold it really tightly and the movement of mindfulness is to actually just like you're still holding it it's still there detachment would actually just be letting go of the pen entirely and just being like yeah whatever mm -hmm. but actually mindfulness is much more about releasing the tension still being present and i know the pen is there and i'm holding it but i'm not tight around it i've sort of relaxed around it and just sort of letting it so that for me that's that because uh, I think it's one of the one of one of the small downsides of the, sort of the clinical success of mindfulness is that it can be very cold sometimes. It can be can be presented and perceived as being a cold practice, a detached a practice of detachment, when actually it's a practice of care and attention and kindness, really. And um, it's about and uh, so that's the I think that's the an important thing. I think. And this role of the observer, because it is so important, like you said, unless we see the patterns or the what's happening, we can't respond. So there's this other phrase within the mindfulness world of like, respond, don't react. Because if we're, if we're caught up in everything, then we're just constantly reacting. And when we're in this reactive mood, then we're only ever going to be sort of, uh, typically it becomes an auto, some kind of autopilot. But if we're able to have that sense of awareness, we can start to respond wisely and skillfully rather than just sort of bouncing around life as we can often do. Yeah, and I think when you're emotionally involved with something, for example, family stuff, I mean, it's it's harder to respond versus react. And I think then when you look at it from a business standpoint, you know, you can apply this to business. And if you're responding versus reacting, that's going to help the outcome for the most part, yeah, right? And I think, yeah, exactly. I think it is really hard to do this stuff in the in the heat of the intense situation, and so 
that's why uh, that's the advantage of learning it outside of that context. So if you learn some of these skills whilst you're doing something neutral, like when you're walking um, uh, or when you're at the gym, so where it doesn't really like um, uh, where it doesn't have the stakes aren't very high. So that when you get to that moment with your family or that really difficult work situation or whatever it might be, um, A, your baseline is much better. Um, I'm not sure whether it's higher or lower, but it's better. <laughs> say it's the base, you're talking about calm, then your baseline will be much lower. And so that's great. Um, uh, and then your, because you've been doing this technique, when the proverbial hits the fan, you're more likely to remember the technique and do it. So I think, because, you know, I know as a maker of mindfulness app that um, if someone's having like an incredibly intense situation, the first thing on their mind isn't, oh, I must listen to a Buddhify and play that. <laughs> you know, some people do, but they, they do that because they've, they've used it before. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, that's why I really encourage sort of like, like try mindfulness in much more, in a, in a very sort of neutral way. And then it, it gives you, then it gives you the trust that actually it works. And that, that's really important, actually, that trust and trust in the process um, and trust in your ability to deal with situations as well. Yeah. Um, so that's certainly been uh, important for me of like, when I've been in the more intense situations in my own life, that uh, all the focus, the training that I've done sort of kicks in. Um, and that's, yeah, sort of that's, uh, I'm very grateful for having done that over the years. Well, speaking of that, that's really how this whole conversation started, how I thought to have you be a guest is because I saw the article that you wrote about how, you know, just because you're a specialist in meditation and mindfulness doesn't mean you don't have stress in your life. And how do you cope? And, you know, you, you kind of laid out some tips. So can you share some of the tips of like, what does a day in the life look, look like for you? And when you have those situations come up, what do you do? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like you said, like, I think, when we work in this kind of area, people can project on project onto you that you're sort of, sort of uh, that everything's everything's happy rainbows and um, and you know there are there are um, uh, obviously I do have a long term meditation practice which sort of underpins everything and so um, that has been and continues to be a really important support. But at the same time, first thing is actually like recognizing that work is just chaos. <laughs> for me, that that sort of framing is quite liberating in the sense that like, it's just another part of life that we have no control over. And there's we do as well as we can. Um, but ultimately, like, if that sale isn't going to go through, it won't go through. Or if um, that email didn't land in the right way, then and like, there's only so much control you can have over that. And so um, that's been important. And also, you know, for me, like, um, uh, just having different outlets, like um, uh, making sure that it sounds so basic, like eating well, exercising, um, uh, time with your family and friends. Like you talked before about like brain scans and stuff, but like there's nothing better for your mental health than staying physically active. Um, uh, and that's, and that is a really important thing. So whatever that is for you, for me, it happens to be running. Um, but for other people, it might just be walking or or intense stuff. So, um, and then there are times when you just want to 
do something completely different and for and sort of and for me like and that have a sense of escapism and for me that's something like video games or uh fiction reading books sort of fantasy, sort of fantasy sci-fi sort of genre fiction which i'm quite into um just puts you in a completely different world and there's a time when the place for doing that i noticed um you had an autoresponder on tuesday that said tuesdays is your day to take off with your son. And I thought that was a really interesting kind of way to set a boundary and way to know that, okay, this is, even if you're, you're not, maybe you're doing the kind of going in and out of work on Tuesdays, you still have that boundary that you're, you're probably not responding to emails. Sure. Um, no, so Tuesdays, yeah, Tuesdays like is a childcare day for me. And so we sort of balance it out. So uh, my son's in nursery three days a week and then me and my wife have a day each. Um, and, you know, that's, that's, uh, it's such an important day in the sense that, oh, so the, one of the joys of working from oneself is that you can create these systems which allow, means I can spend, we can both spend time with, um, with him in a very detailed way. Um, and, you know, nothing, nothing trains, no one, no one calls you out on whether you're not, not being present than a kid, right? So it's like, exactly. It's like, you know, the feedback is very clear. Um, and so, you know, that's a, that's an important part of, um, uh, I think, just having that balance. And I think, um, like, like I said, it's sort of one of the real advantages and one of the things I'm very, I feel very fortunate that we've been able to um, set up a, the company and the, and the team in such a way that we, you know, we, we, all of us actually, we have a core team of four and everyone works four days or less. Um, and so part of that is just a, uh, and the reasoning behind that is, um, actually is to just give everyone a bit more space to, to do something else and, um, uh, recognize that that's, that, that makes them even better when they come, come to the office. Well, thank you so much. We're kind of running out of time. If you have any other last minute takeaways or tips, go for it. I know that this is going to be a super popular interview. Sure. I think oh, when it comes to, you know, digital health and everything, I think find what works for you. Um, be really honest about, you know, like when I saw myself, like when I, like really, I think the key is just being really honest about the patterns we have. And when I saw that I was being like, was using Twitter to escape or, you know, in a way that wasn't positive or wasn't supportive, I decided to do something about it. And I think, it's become and um, and the great thing about technology is that you can actually use if you rec if you recognize and allow technology to be just another space for you to support your well-being another mindfulness room mindfulness space then it can actually become really fun and like I, I'm a big fan of people inventing their own techniques it's my experience like the reason I've got so much out of mindfulness is that I've taken the basics but then modified them so that they fit my life and so my invitation really to people is to like learn a couple of basic techniques whether that's body awareness or concentration practice and then go okay how does this actually work when i'm on instagram because like you know we're good at designing meditations and putting them in the app but the real magic happens is when you take them on and own them and design them for yourself and then because no one knows you're like who are we to know what your life is like right so um uh our, my ultimate hope is that we provide the tools and inspiration for people to create their own meditations and their own techniques um, 
to to support themselves in the in the very real real realities of their own challenges and their own lives. Well, Rohan, you have truly given us a gift with this app and with your book. And like you say in one of your tracks, it's you know work is like looking at work like a service to others. So you've provided this. Um, way to, you know, bridge the gap between, you know, if you're looking for meditation and mindfulness, um, you have it, you know, in the palm of your hand on, on your um, smartphone. Sure. So thank you so much. And thanks for thank doing the know. interview. Yeah, thanks. Mm-hmm. Very yeah, you've been very supportive over the years. So thank you for that as well. No problem. And we're going to put a link um, in the comments. So people are asking where, where they can get the app. So I'll put a link in the comments. And great. with that, namaste. Have a great day. Sure. Thanks, Lisa. You too. Okay. Bye.